From 11 years onwards, in order to feel safe, I developed a complex ritual of lengthy, anxious checking routines. Did I lock the door properly? Did I turn off the taps? I was fearful about making a mistake that would cause something bad to happen. I feared that I could miss something that could somehow lead to a fire, a flood or theft. When I became a Christian, this mindset didn't just suddenly disappear. In fact, my anxiety intensified as I believed I could now do something to offend God. Would I think, say or do something wrong that displeased him, that which would result in punishment? My mind became increasingly ruled by the terrible accusations and I lived dominated by a harsh, internal, critical chatter. As the outward visible checking of doors and taps being closed, etc. continued, this internal critical voice plagued me with accusations and false guilt, ultimately resulting in the development of a whole new set of hidden internal checking routines articulated around performance, motivation and responsibility. The most debilitating and crippling aspect of OCD was the fear that something I imagined could actually have happened. These obsessive thoughts became so intrusive that they tormented me to think that the worst case scenario had happened or would or would happen because of my failure. I found myself in the grip of excessive worry that could only be appeased by generating these new, unseen, mental routines. For years, I was haunted by tormenting internal monologues and stabbing thoughts caused by a cruel, harsh, internal inner voice. I lived every day under the lie, if you feel guilty, then you are guilty. As a consequence, I became a slave to obsessive checking routines and rituals that I had constructed for my own safety. So, for example, I could be 18, I've been on my bike and I, I uh, had maybe read, ridden over a paving slab and the paving slab had moved and I would get into bed at night with the sudden thought that you had moved the paving slab and now a 90-year-old woman is going to trip and fall and break her hip and she's going to die and that will be your fault. So I would get dressed, cycle down the pier, look for the paving slab to make sure it was all okay. And when you read stories about people who suffer with this mental health condition, you hear about a lady who would experience her journey to work, which was only three miles taking an hour every day because she would have to stop and turn around to check she hadn't killed anybody or knocked someone in a ditch. You read about people who will not have any pens and paper in their whole house out of fear that in the night they could write a confession to a crime they never committed and the police would come and arrest them. And so, and so it's a debilitating, terrible condition. I want to talk about how God breaks us free from the things that can dog us because it can be 
the feeling of I'm rejected. It can be the feeling of I get angry when. It can be the thing of I don't know how to say what I need. It can be the thing of I'm passive aggressive. I never really get angry, but there's a passive aggressive way that I cope with life. It can be I numb when I'm scared or I numb when I'm anxious with alcohol or food or drink or whatever. And so I want to talk about that and I want to talk about even while we're in the process of being set free, the way God sees us is glorious, whole and holy and righteous in Christ. don't know if you remember, and it's still true now, in the London Underground, there's the whole thing of mind the gap. And I remember being a kid going there and with the family and you hear that mind the gap thing and it would be absolutely terrifying because you'd be gripped by the thought of what happens if you don't mind the gap and what happens if you slide into the gap, you know, and you hear this mind the gap, mind the gap and you're thinking I really want to mind the gap and some gaps and some platforms look bigger and they look terrifying and will I fall in through the gap? And for all of us, as we're growing in Christ, there's a kind of mind the gap that we experience. There's who we are in Christ. And then there's that gap between who we want to be in Christ. And we have that gap of, well, I I know I'm loved, but I want to be more free. Or I, 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 I know I'm loved, but I'm still dogged by this terrifying way of thinking there's a gap and we need to know how we mind the gap how we mind the gap between who we are right now and where we're going is of vital importance if the journey with Christ is going to be a hope-filled joy-filled magnificent journey see it's possible to see the gap as our identity and we could sing songs about I'm loved, we can hear exhortations about I'm righteous, we can hear wonderful prayers about our adoption in Christ. But it's possible to see the gap as our identity. We can see the thing that we're wrestling with and struggling with as our complete identity. How can you love me, God, when I'm racked by obsessive compulsion disorders how could you accept me God when I can't even trust you that the taps are off how could you love me God when my trust levels of you of you are so small and limited how could you see me as lovable beloved and glorious when I'm struggling so deeply to trust you whether the door is shut the first time I try it how could you ever entrust me with anything else when I'm struggling so basically And we can see the gap between who we are now and who we want to be as, I want to be a trusting person. I want to be a peaceful person. I want to be a person at rest. I want to be a person who's content. And we can see the gap as a disqualification from enjoying intimacy, relationship, and even our inheritance in Christ. We can say, of course I could never inherit right now. I'm gripped by terrible, critical inner monologues about just how I'm failing. Of course you couldn't accept me. Surely you couldn't. And so when we get gripped by the sense of the gap, we enter into a process that we were never meant to enter. What we enter into is the idea of, you will love me, God, 
You could accept me, God. You could celebrate me, God, when I've overcome this. When I'm through on this, then life will begin. And we kind of overemphasize our own responsibility in writing our story with God. It's like we're spending all of our energy trying to forge our new self in Christ. Instead of enjoying our identity and our new self in Christ, we spend loads of our energy fixated and gripped and obsessed with wanting to get through the thing we perceive is holding us back. And we kind of pray prayers like this. There's a better version of me on the way, God. I'm working on a better version of me. There's a more trusting version of me that's on the way, God. There's a version of me that doesn't struggle with this stuff like I'm struggling right now. And you'll love that new version of me. And we can say that about any area of our life. We could say, there's a different version of me on the way, God. A version that doesn't numb with cake. And you're going to love that new version of me, God. There's a new version of me that runs directly to you, God. And I'm working on that new version right now. And we could say that about a whole host of different things that we look to, to feel safe or secure apart from him. And it's like we see the Christian life as a bunch of nails and a bunch of wood and we're building something for God, modifying ourselves and trying to build something that we believe is going to be impressive for God. And so instead of enjoying relationship, we find most of our life harried and hassled and struggling and condemned and frustrated and irritated and angry with ourselves because we don't quite feel we're measuring up. There's this gap and I'm trying to close this gap between who I am right now and who I want to be. Or we say, my life is like an onion skin and God's always peeling away the rotten layers of who I am. <laughs> and we can see ourselves as, yeah, forgiven. Yeah, I'm forgiven. But rot, really what I am is a rotten sinner who's a forgiven rotten sinner. And God is in the business of peeling away my rottenness. And when I have one layer of rottenness peeled away, I realise there's another layer. Anybody... Anybody feel that they're on that kind of treadmill? Tell my story because I'm telling you I've been on that treadmill and sometimes find myself back on that treadmill and think, have we say things like phrases like, God's challenging me. I'm not saying that's wrong. Yeah, God, God leads us by his kindness to repentance and change our mind. But sometimes our Christian experiences are always a sense of being challenged by God. <laughs> Like he's peeled away one rotten layer of our selfishness or our anxiety or our rejection. And then we realise, oh no, there's another layer of my badness and brokenness that needs to come away. It's not the gospel. It's not the good news. That kind of journey is harsh, frustrating, peaceless, joyless journey. And then the world looks on and we're wondering, why is the world not interested in our message? Come and join me, where we're going to be navel-gazing, frustrated, 
and depressed with ourselves and feel bad about ourselves until one day we go to the grave. Come, it's free. (laughs) I'm serious, there's so much mental health stuff that gets attached to a wrong understanding of the gospel. That leads people, instead of to the voice of the father, it leads them to the voice of the accuser. The Bible says that the accuser of the brethren does that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And sometimes we go to his harsh, critical voice and we say, that's the voice of the father. No, actually, it's the voice of the accuser. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And so the Bible, Romans 6, is shouting a very, very different message. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter of Romans 6, but what I would say to you is, read Romans 6 every day. Go through Romans 6 every day. Think deeply about the message of Romans 6, because the message is this. You're not on a journey from dirty to less dirty to less dirty. It's not that you come to Christ and I don't know how you came to Christ, whether it was in a meeting or a friend told you about Jesus, wherever it was, whether you were just reading the Bible on your own, as some do and some have, guess what happened to Gary? Reading the Bible, has an encounter with Jesus, comes to Christ. But however we come to Jesus, it's not that we just get forgiven. Like you got forgiven, but really you're dirty and broken. The gospel's not dirty to less dirty. Corinthians says it's actually, you begin glorious. It's actually a glory to glory kind of message. You start magnificent. You start as glorious in his eyes. It's where you start. That's where you live. As glorious in his eyes. We use these phrases like glory and glorious. Think about it. Glorious means you're worthy. It means you are striking. It means that who you really are in the eyes of God is beautiful and celebrated. When he looks at you, the father doesn't say, here's my less dirty son or daughter. Here's my little sinner who one day maybe will become a saint. Where he celebrates you. He says, you're marvellous, I'm marvellous, you're wonderful, you're excellent. He says, you are absolutely unforgettable and distinguished. It's what it means to have the righteousness of Christ. It's what it means to be glorious. That's who you are. So the moment I came to Christ, I was glorious and celebrated and worthy and loved. Even though I brought with me some old habits of anxious, fearful checking. And so we come in to the new birth and we are all those things. And it's true in terms of our identity. The old has gone and the new has come. It's true. The old is gone. But how many of you know that though the old is gone, 
and the new has come, you still carry some of the old with you into your new life in Christ. But that's not your identity. People give testimonies of how they came to Christ and in the moment they came to Christ, some old habits and thought patterns and ways of seeing, they got changed immediately. And some stuff, some old habits, didn't get changed immediately. It's like we brought some baggage with us into the new land, into this new life. We brought with us maybe a faulty lens in which we see the world. Like maybe something traumatic happened to us in the past and left us feeling rejected. Sometimes for some people, the moment they come to Christ, rejection is broken immediately by the acceptance of God. And sometimes rejection comes with that person as a faulty lens to see the world through. It's like, it can be like, You're in the supermarket and you see somebody you know and you think they see you but they don't acknowledge you. If you've got a faulty lens of rejection, your immediate thought is, they don't like me. They saw me and ignored me. Just a faulty lens. You don't know that for definite. It's just a lens you brought with you from something in the past. Sometimes we can bring stuff with us from our family, where we're brought up from. It could be a culture thing, like it could be like in my family, when people don't get what they want, they get angry. And you can bring that with you into Christ. It can be strongholds. Pockets of enemy resistance. It can just be mental blocks, blind spots, things that stop us seeing the way that God sees them. And God is in a process of with us co-laboring, cooperating, of transforming those things through steady steps and process and co-laboring and in relationship. But whatever those things are, It doesn't change the way that God sees you in the process. That's the remarkable thing of the gospel. That you could be dealing with a whole thing over here that you know that needs demolishing and transforming and changing. But he doesn't see you as unglorious, unworthy and unacceptable during the process. He sees you as wonderfully whole in Christ. I'm really looking forward to December the 18th because the last part of the new Star Wars trilogy comes out and Luke's going to train Ray, and I'm sure he'll train her well enough to have a really, really good showdown with Kylo at the end. I'm, I'm not spoiling, I don't know, I just think that's what's going to happen. <laughs> and when they're making movies... They sometimes sit in a screening room to watch the finished film, you know, when the director, the producers, the actors, they all sit in, watch the finished film to, to, to give it a final check to make sure it's pacing and the special effects are all good. And 
and the hope is the whole film's really ready and is ready to go. What if there's a blur on the screen? Is the thought then, because there's a blur on the screen, oh no, this film's a disaster, it's ruined, it's, it's rubbish, we need to reshoot the whole film, it's not going to be ready by December 8th, we need to reshoot it again. Or would another conclusion be, we just need to clean the projector. There's nothing wrong with the film. The film is great. It's ready to go. It's, it's brilliant. We just need to clean the projector. It's just not projecting properly. That's what renewing of the mind is. You are wonderfully, in that sense, gloriously complete in Christ. It's just sometimes the projector needs a jolly clean. Because you are acceptable in the beloved. You're not a rejected being. When you're looking through the lens of rejection... It's got some blur on it. Clean the lens. You are safe and secure, Jamie. You don't need to check the taps, the locks, the doors and double check that conversation or double check your motivation. I'm your good shepherd. I'm looking out after you. Nothing can separate me from you. You're accepted in the beloved. Clean the lens. It just takes some time to clean the lens. And what I learned in the process was this, and that's the title of the book, that God doesn't do magic in the process. Because we struggle with something, we we numb with something, or we think a certain way, or we've got habits, and we think, if only God would zap me out and do some zappage, and then zap me into a wonderful land of freedom. So I'm in this new land in Christ, and... I've got this wonderful new land to explore in Jesus. I wish he would just zap away the baggage and the faulty lens and and just get rid of that family culture thing that we took with us that isn't lining up with how Christ is. And we think, oh God, would you zap me out of it? Sometimes in a charismatic church like ours, we can be preoccupied with the idea of God's just going to zap us into freedom. Now, it's true that God can cast out a spirit that controls us or dominates us or is influencing us in a moment. I've experienced moments of breakthrough and deliverance where strongholds and demonic strongholds got broken in an instant. But to my dismay and sadness, my mind didn't get renewed in an instant. In other words... God can cast out a spirit, but he doesn't cast out a mindset. And that's where we often get stuck and go round the mountain, because we're looking for a, an encounter that's just going to change everything in a moment. When God, yes, gives encounters that bring invitation to freedom, but he doesn't do it all for us. He doesn't do magic. There is still a part for us to play. Be metamorphosized, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There has to be a change and an alignment and an agreement with God in order to walk into the freedom that he invites us into. The Bible says that thought and the things we consider are actually spiritual weapons. Thought and consideration are actually spiritual weapons. So the gospel, sometimes our idea can be all of our guns are pointing up and rebuking and rebuking and rebuking and rebuking until, as Steve Backlund says, our rebuker wears out. The gospel is 
thought and consideration are our powerful spiritual weapons. Peter says in the Bible, arm yourself with this thought. Paul says in Romans 6, consider yourself dead. Reckon yourself dead. Account yourself as being dead to that thing. God says, this is a kind of paraphrase of Romans 6, I am not trying to fix your old life. Rather, through Christ, I killed it, buried it, a decisive end to that miserable life, and I gave you a new one. That's already happened. That's happened. You can't come, yeah, you could come forward for that if you don't know Jesus. But you can't come forward if you know Jesus for a, a, a moment of execution of something that's already dead. What God is all the time doing is I am persuading, I am convincing you about your new self. So what it's all about. You come into Christ, you're a new creation, God is in the business of convincing you about your new identity, your new self, your new culture, your new family, your new freedom, your new opportunities, your new permissions. That's what all of God's energy is on that. In other words, Jamie, I'm trying to convince you, you don't need to check, you just need a relationship to trust. That's all you need. I'm convincing you that I am good. I'm convincing you in the process that I'm trustworthy. I'm convincing you about what my voice sounds like. And some of us would say, I don't feel very dead. We can say, I don't feel very dead. My timidity, my sense of rejection, my need to numb with all these things is still very, very much alive. We can feel, no, it's not dead. It's not dead. The monster feels alive and the monster needs to be fed and it needs to be fed a lot. That's what we can feel. And Romans 6 is not mind over matter. The Bible is not what you really are is alive to sin and you're really alive to all these stuff and your old self is really alive. Just try and convince yourself that you're dead. If you can convince yourself that you're dead, then maybe you might feel dead. Rather, the Bible says, because you are dead, consider yourself in line with what God says. Jamie, OCD is not your identity. You died with it. You were buried with it. I'm in the process of convincing you that you can be a person at peace, at rest, and in trusting in God. That's what I'm doing. I'm not trying to kill obsessive compulsion disorder you're dead to it you don't need it you just brought it in when you came with into this new life with christ but i'm convincing you to let go i'm convincing you to stop feeding the monster i'm convincing you in process to trust me on a deep deep level the gospel is radical supernatural work all along and there's a radical supernatural work in I'm going to trust it because it's true. See, some people get stuck because of a refusal to agree with God despite how they feel. Think it because it's true. 
Bring your thoughts into alignment with what God says. Own who you really are in Christ. Own it. Own it because it's true. Wear it, the Bible says. Put it on. Put it on. Your new self in Christ. That's really who you are. Put some things to death. Romans 6 says, don't present yourself, your members of your body, to anything that will take you and make you its slave. So what we're presented with in Christ is the freedom of choice. What we didn't have before we came to Jesus was any real choice. It was like we were marionettes and the puppet master was sin. Now in Christ, that strings are being cut and we've got a new resurrection life that now has a radical set of choices in front of it. Before, I had no choices in one sense. Now I've got a whole new range of choices. I can present myself to righteousness and the freedom never stops. Well, you present yourself to sin and the freedom goes the moment you present it. It will snap on you the moment you present yourself to, to sin or other things. So, it, so the gospel brings us into that wonderful place. Becoming life, what you already are in Christ. But let me say this, it's not a denial of what you feel. The gospel's not a stuff down your emotions kind of message. It's not, well, I'm anxious or fearful or rejected. I'm just not going to acknowledge that. Actually, the gospel is a wonderful thing of facing the facts, of being real and honest with God. It's not ignoring our emotions. It's not ignoring our feelings. It's not pretending they're not real. It's not pretending that when we find ourselves in a loop of anxiety, that that anxiety isn't crippling or debilitating and painful. It's, in, it's an honest acknowledgement that this really hurts Jesus. What I feel is terrifying, God. And it's real and it's genuine. And we, and we say, this is where I need you to come right in and persuade me and convince me right in the midst of overwhelming, frightening anxiety. I need you into this. And it's that moment when, as well, you find that sometimes you go through time and you think, I've not been on that anxious loop for ages. And then suddenly you find you're back in it. It's not allowing feelings of failure as well to cripple you in your identity. But it's allowing feelings to be a voice of God to you that tell you this is the place where I need to grow and this is the place where I need to mature. Let me end with these illustrations. Renewing the mind is not about trying not to have negative, insecure anxious, rejected thoughts. Say that again. The good news of how transformation happens is not spending your whole life trying not to worry or trying not to feel rejected or trying not to feel timid 
or trying not to feel down or trying not to feel a whole range of whatever God is touching right now. If all of our energy is about, I'm trying not to think certain things, guess what? The whole of our life is now dominated and controlled and ruled by the very thing that we say we don't want to rule and control our lives. Yeah? If we say this, I don't want to have anxious thoughts. I don't want to go on the treadmill of anxiety. I don't want to be double checking. I don't want to be double checking if the tap is not on. I don't want to have thoughts that the door might not be closed. I don't want to have thoughts about did that old lady actually trip on the thing and did I kill her? I don't want to have thoughts. What's, what's my life now dominated by? What we are working on is always the conclusions that we come to because of our thoughts. In Numbers 12, they go into the land, they see the giants, it's scary. That's the reality. For some of them, they come to the conclusion that these giants are going to devour us and devour our children and destroy us. They came to a conclusion based on their thoughts. Caleb and Joshua saw the same giants, the same circumstances, the same issues, were probably bombarded with the same temptation to give into fear and run away. But they come to another conclusion, surely they're bred for us, God's promised, we're going in. It's about the conclusions we come to. Let me say this as well. So you're, you're going through life, and you're in the supermarket, and you go through that whole scenario, I'm rejected. You don't have to do something immediately with your thoughts. Like, you're in the supermarket, that person doesn't see you, you have a thought of rejection. You don't immediately have to try, I resist the feeling of thought of rejection. I'm not rejected, I'm accepted in the beloved, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Nothing can separate me from his love. Again, you're fighting, all your energy is going on, trying to stop something that's now actually dominating your life. You can approach it like this. You're in the supermarket and you notice a butterfly lands on your shoulder. It says, you're rejected. You can notice it, but you don't do anything with it. You don't attach any importance to it. You don't fight it. You don't resist it. You don't combat it. You don't attach any identity to it. You don't say, oh no, I'm not rejected. I've got an identity in Christ. You give it no importance. You don't appraise it. And what does it do? It flies off and you can't even remember it. Or, imagine you're at a a train station and there's a a train coming into the station called Get Anxious Today, There's a Lot to Worry About. (laughs) Now, you can can start fighting and say, no, I'm going to trust, I'm not going to be anxious about anything. Jesus said, don't worry about your life. And, and And you can be quoting all those verses and they're good to quote and they're good to know and it's good to do it. I'm not saying that, but in the moment... If you do that, the thought of, I don't want to worry, becomes the thing that dominates. You see the train come in, it stops. Other people get on the train called Worry Express. 
you don't and you watch it go out of the platform and out of the station and if you did find yourself on the train thinking with all the other warriors we're going to lose our jobs we're going to go bankrupt it's going to be terrible you think i'm getting off at the next station i'm not going any further with that warrior express you get <laughs> you just get off the train or you're looking at the river imagine you're at a river and you see some logs go past you're worthless you're nothing you're a failure you don't go jumping in the river and say, I'm going to get those logs out. I'm not worthless. I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to get in the mud and get those logs out. You let them pass you by. You, they have nothing to do with how he sees you in Christ. Accuser, thought, old habits of thinking, you're worthless, you're a failure, nothing's going to work out for you. I'm just watching you go by. I'm not jumping in. I'm not doing anything with them. I'm not even going to wade in the river to try and pull them out because I will not allow anything to distract me from the joy that I have in enjoying him. Amen. See, we have to, in that sense, not attach any importance to thoughts that rob us of our confidence in our identity in Christ. We get our verdict from God alone. And you might say, but, but where does meditating on scripture come in then? Where does renewing your mind come in then? Where do declarations come in then? Where does resting in the presence of God come in then? We build those as habits that are going on in other departments of our life. But when we're on the front line of battle, we don't want to be chasing a butterfly around to try and get rid of a thought. And we don't want to be hopping on trains all day that are taking us where we don't want to go. And we don't want to be all muddy in the river trying to drag out logs. We're here to change the world. We haven't got time to be distracted and controlled by an enemy agenda. But what we're doing in the background is we're cultivating relationship. We're learning to get to know his voice. We're meditating on scripture. We've got declarations that are reminding us of who he is and who we are. We're in community. We're with brothers and sisters. We're trusting people uh, to walk deeply with people. We've got all that going on. But when we're on the front line, we're not going to get taken out by distracting thoughts that try and steal our identity and set the agenda. So God, we thank you that, that you are wonderful at this and we thank you that we're not modifying ourselves we're not fixing ourselves something is happening in relationship with Christ we're not doing it for you you've not given us a bunch of nails and a hammer and some wood and say now forge a new identity in Christ we've got that already and we're saying we want to be convinced by you about our new self that's already existing in Christ. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the context of that is this. Ezra has just read the law to the people before the walls of Jerusalem are finished and the gates are not yet in place. And the people are overwhelmed with how far they've fallen short of the standards of God. And Nehemiah says, right now it's party time. This is not sackcloth and mourning and ashes. This is the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength in the middle 
of I'm getting rid of my old baggage and I'm learning to see in a new way and I'm adjusting to the culture of heaven and mental blocks are changing and I know I'm not yet perfect, but I am perfect. I'm now and, and not quite yet in, in practice. And all of that happens in the moment of just acknowledging that's how you see me. So there's joy in the process. And as Steve Backman says, the joy is absolutely essential for finishing the process. Yes. The joy is your strength. It's the strength you need to be able to walk with Christ through the process. But if we get down on ourselves and condemned and back off from people or back off from God and are harsh with ourselves, we rob ourselves of the joy we absolutely need for radical obedience to Christ and the strength that he provides. Amen.